Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Round two coverage of the NBA playoffs here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? Well, the Philadelphia 76ers go on the road to beat the Boston Celtics resoundingly to take a 3-2 lead. Very ton of thoughts I want to get into. We are also live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feeds, don't forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. You guys know the drill before we get started. Don't forget to subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And last but not least, for whatever reason, you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish. Don't forget, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. All right, so if you guys remember, I was... I predicted a big run by the Sixers early in the year um, as they were getting healthy, as Tyrese Maxey and James Harden were coming back. Um, I liked a lot of things specifically that I was seeing with that roster makeup. And in January, they really started to take off. And then they ran into a bunch of really tough games, as every team does and as stacked the league is, in that February, March, April time of the year. And those of you guys who followed the show at that point, you might remember me frequently talking about how much I appreciated the fight that James Harden and Joel Embiid showed. Um, there was a specific game that they lost, and I think it was at home actually, to Boston, where Jason Tatum hit that pullback game-winning three at the top of the key, where they were up against it late in that game. And rather than letting go of the rope or just saying, hey, it's a regular season, who cares, let's just let it go, both James Harden and Joel Embiid made a bunch of big plays down the stretch of that game, and they actually tied it late, I believe, on a foul uh, post-up Joel Embiid on Jalen Brown where he made a couple free throws, and they made it a game. And then Jason Tatum ended up just winning it at the buzzer. But they had a, a bunch of other 
really impressive performances down the stretch of that season. I thought it was a big part of Joel Embiid's MVP case, which was essentially just he won all these big head-to-head matchups. He was a much better defensive player than uh, Nikola Jokic. That was kind of the, the, the narrative surrounding Joel Embiid's MVP, right? And I wasn't very optimistic about them in this series, but in my series preview, if you guys remember, I said I would have given the Sixers a very good chance to beat the Celtics if Joel Embiid was healthy. There was just such a big question mark surrounding his knee. And specifically, I talked about his rhythm and the fact that at the foul line, which has become such an important part of Joel Embiid's success, in, uh, and I shouldn't even say success, but taking that next leap from like guy who's just another one of the stars at the top of the league to a guy who's perennially in the MVP conversation, the guy that can succeed and stay efficient in the NBA playoffs was that success around the free throw line. But so much of it relies on his jump shooting. And I was worried about his rhythm getting disrupted. Well, I was flat out wrong because Joel Embiid has been incredible. Um, he completely shook off whatever that little rough stretch was uh, that he had against Al Horford down the stretch of game four, and he absolutely torched the Celtics tonight. James Harden, after a couple of rough games in game two and game three, I kind of broke down, if you guys remember, the dynamic in James Harden's playoff history of succeeding in game ones and then struggling as the series progresses. Well, he's thoroughly shook that off too, as he has been getting stronger and stronger down the stretch of this series. Not as much of a scoring performance in this uh, game tonight, but I thought he absolutely dominated the flow of the game. He was the guy that repeatedly was setting up Joel Embiid with that pocket pass to the high post there right around the elbow where he's so successful. Um, he, he just... There was a uh, an action that Philly could run, theoretically, every time down the floor. Now, they don't actually do it every time down the floor. It's not how basketball works, but anytime they got into a set uh, half-court environment... They were able to run a pick and roll with James Harden and draw Rob Williams or Al Horford or whoever into kind of like a loose drop coverage around the foul line, but extended out to where James Harden was dribbling. And then he could just throw that pocket pass to Joel Embiid and Embiid could either make a shot from the foul line, make a kickout pass to the weak side if he drew a helper or just rip through to the basket and try to draw a foul. That was their like go-to play. Whereas for Boston, they are yet to really uncover anything in this series that is kind of a dependable, like we can, you know, run this Jason Tatum post up from the left block and he's just going to score every single time or get a great shot every single time. Or, oh, here's this pick and roll that we run with, you know, Derek White and Al Horford that, you know, or pick and pop that just leads to a wide open three and he can make it every single time. They haven't really established anything. And that specific pick and roll dynamic with James Harden and Joel Embiid more like a short roll to that foul line has been the, the the ultimate trump card in this series. And as we've made it to game five, as everyone else has kind of settled into the series and all of the Sixers guys are comfortable in their matchups, right? Like P.J. Tucker kind of has an idea of how he wants to guard um, uh, Jalen Brown, right? Joel Embiid is very much ignoring Al Horford and Al Horford had a nightmare game trying to shoot the three tonight. But as this series has progressed... James Harden and Joel Embiid have elevated and become the best players in the series. Now, the series is not over. A lot of basketball left. This Boston team has a lot of talent, and I'm sure all you Sixers fans know Game 6 is not going to be easy. But credits to James Harden and Joel Embiid, because as we came into this postseason run, the biggest fear surrounding them was, will they be able to shake off their reputation as being players who crater in efficiency when they get to the postseason? And instead, both of them 
have gotten stronger and stronger as the series has progressed. So shout out to those two guys. Um, I, I think it's been such a such, uh, such a fascinating season from the standpoint of competitive spirit for those two because it it wasn't pretty last year. The Miami Heat kind of punked you, and you came back stronger. And you've made the improvements in the areas of your game that you needed to. And now you're reaping those benefits here as your one went away from the Eastern Conference Finals. I also wanted to shout out the defensive effort. If you guys remember in game one, the the James the first of two James Harden game winners, um, there was this uh, uh, focus on Boston's offensive execution. You know, like, oh, Marcus Smart post up on the final play. What the heck are they doing? Blah, blah, blah. As I went back and watched the film of that game, I thought Boston's offensive process was fine. I mean, for what Boston was doing, Philly was just defending their asses off. They're doing a bunch of really basic, like, uh, defensive uh, kind of baseline principles that a lot of teams around the league use, especially in the playoffs, and they're just executing really well. So they're defending on the perimeter well. They're sliding their feet, and they're flattening out drives. That's step one. They're digging down into driving lanes, right? So, like, if a guy is... Um, on the left wing and I'm guarding a, and, and uh, there's a, a ball handler on the right wing, that dude who's guarding the guy in the left wing is down at the nail, just prepared for that drive to the right. And if they make that pass, it's a hard closeout. And Boston, it's interesting. They have a ton of guys that can shoot and a ton of guys that can pass and a ton of guys that can dribble. But what they don't have are just like dead eye, you cannot give this guy any space type of shooters. And so as a result, like you, a good hard closeout goes a long way to turning a deadly shot into a shot that they can live with, right? Um, on the back line, the rotations. Like if anybody gets beat off the dribble, you're seeing out. Uh, you're seeing Joel Embiid step in to help, and then the guy guarding the ball handler just sprints out to Al Horford. Or the next guy on the wing will go to Al Horford and he'll sprint to the next guy. Their rotations are incredibly sharp, and that's been from game one on in this series. They just needed to get the offensive production to make it work. It's funny. I, I, I'm i going to butcher this because I can't remember who exactly uh, uh, conceptualized this idea, but there's this 2-1-1 theory in the NBA playoffs. Essentially, you need your best player to win you two games. You need your second best player to win you one game. And then you need your role players to win you a game. And that's typically like the, uh, uh, not typically, but there's that's a very common path that you'll see a team win an NBA playoff series with. And James Harden, your second best player, got you two games in this series. Game one by himself without Joel Embiid. And then in game four, as Joel Embiid was struggling with the Al Horford matchup, James Harden carried you home, including hitting yet another game winner but that you needed to get a game out of Joel Embiid where he dominates, and that's what Joel Embiid did in this particular game. Dominating at the rim defensively, drawing a ton of fouls, torturing them in the short roll at the foul line, but that was the offensive lift they needed to carry them to their third win with a defense that has been mostly phenomenal throughout this entire playoff run. Um, a couple of specific things they're doing. So, uh, uh, Horford missing that allowed Joel Embiid to stay at the rim. That's an important part of it. He was dom- uh, blocking and bothering a bunch of shots around the rim. Chasing them off the three-point line. This is the problem of being a one-dimensional team. If you really look at this Boston Celtics team, Jalen Brown's the only guy who's really comfortable working out of the mid-range, right? And, and is kind of more of a uh, 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 comf- like a, a creative shot maker inside the three-point line, right? And he only took 16 shots in this game, which we'll get to in a minute. So, like, with... That, that limitation, you've turned your perimeter defenders, uh, you've turned their task into something that's much more achievable. Chase the guy off the three-point line, 
if he beats you off the dribble, just try to flatten out his drive as best as you can. If you get if you get beat, just rotate to the next shooter. You've got help behind you. The helper doesn't need to come up to the mid-range. The helper just can meet you at the basket and either take a charge or, or Embiid, if he's there, is going to be able to deter shots at the rim, and you rotate around. By, by chasing them off the three-point line and this team not feeling comfortable doing anything but taking layups and threes has turned the defensive job for Philly into one that's much more achievable, and that preys on Boston's weaknesses. They're, they don't have a guy who can score in the mid-range. Look at the points in the paint in this game. Go to look at the team stats. I checked before. Uh, uh, we're going right after the final buzzer, so I missed some of garbage time, but it was literally 34-34 to 34 in the late fourth quarter in points in the paint. So, like... Philly's not getting any points in the paint either, but they don't care because they thrive in the mid-range. James Harden has been thriving in the mid-range in this series. Joel Embiid has been thriving in the mid-range in this series. So they can live with that. But on the Boston front, when they're not getting points in the paint, they damn well better be hitting all their threes than they weren't tonight. And so it's made them a little bit one-dimensional and it's put them in some problems. So shout out to, to Philly. I think a lot of their their roster constructs that make them a successful uh, playoff team have come to the surface. And big shout out to Joel Embiid and James Harden, who have guys who I've been, I personally have been very critical of in their playoffs uh, playoff careers, have overcome a lot of that in this playoff run. Really quickly on Boston, um, I'm really confused by the fact that Joel Missoula and I've been talking about this entire series as we've been talking about James Harden ISOs and pick and roll coverage and things along those lines. He just hasn't done anything. Uh, gimmicky or tried anything to try to throw them off of rhythm, right? We're covering this Lakers series and it's like every game there's a monumental chess move. Like, oh, we're going to put Jared Vanderbilt on Draymond Green. Oh, we're going to start Jermichael Green so that we can put Anthony Davis in screen and roll. Oh, we're going to start Gary Payton the second. Oh, we're going to put Anthony Davis on Andrew Wiggins now. It's like both coaches are like, as soon as they start getting burned by something, they're always thinking about how they can adjust. Whereas like we're in game four and I'm watching James Harden work in isolation while PJ Tucker's on the floor. How, how does that happen? You saw it a little bit at the end of this game, but they started putting Marcus Smart on Joel Embiid in fronting and then having Al Horford ignore P.J. Tucker behind the back. That should have been the entire damn series. That should have been an adjustment they figured out in game two and tried to force Philly to do something different. So, like, being again, like, you cannot be Mr. Oh, all we got to do is execute better. Yes, execution matters. But at the end of the day, when you are facing warping uh, offensive personnel like Joel Embiid and James Harden, you have to be willing to try different things. One other thing is there's a clear hierarchy with uh, Philadelphia. It's like James Harden, high pick and roll with Joel Embiid, or post-ups with Joel Embiid, isos with James Harden, right? And like every once in a while when those guys are tired, they'll toss the ball to Tyrese Maxey and have him run a pick and roll, or they'll toss the ball down to Tobias Harris in the post, but it's the stars that decide like, hey, we're taking a break on this possession. There's a very clear hierarchy. With Boston, there's just so many guys that are used to having the ball in their hands. Jalen Brown used to having the ball in his hands. Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, all of these guys are used to having the ball in their hands and making decisions. And so the hierarchy gets a little tricky. In this game, Jason Tatum in particular was just full tunnel vision, empty the clip. Uh, and, and I admired it from a competitive standpoint, but like he was just driving into traffic and he was making some shots and getting to the foul line, but like it just ruins the flow of the offense and everyone else is just kind of standing around, doesn't know what to do. Jalen Brown only takes 16 shots. The guards are Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White are, are, are co-opting possessions. It'd be a lot easier 
if you had spot-up shooters around them and it's like Jason and Jalen are the only two guys going. It just gets a lot more simple from a rhythm standpoint. We're seeing this in the Denver-Phoenix series. We got Devin Booker and Kevin Durant just deciding every single possession now that Chris Paul's out and their offense looks better. So like sometimes less is more when it comes to primary ball handling. And and I understand the predicament. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum aren't traditional point guards, so you need guys that can ball handle. But this is the catch-22 when your two best players are not great playmakers. You end up in a situation where you have to supply them with playmaking, and now you just have a bunch of guys who know how to dribble, and their offense can get really, really stagnant. Um, Look at Philly. You've got guys that are just role-player specialists. P.J. Tucker, role-player specialist. Daniel House, role-player specialist. De'Anthony Melton, role-player specialist. Even their other two primary guys, like Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey, they can go six minutes at a time without touching the basketball, and they don't care because there's a clear hierarchy there, and I think that's been an advantage towards Philly. This is this is not over. Uh, Boston, I believe, still has more talent down the roster. They're very capable of going in and beating Philly in game six, I mean, they beat them in game three and they were up big late in game four. So they certainly are capable, but they're in a tough spot here. And I expect a raucous, desperate Philly environment as they try to end this series. All right, guys, that is all I have for right now. We are going to be back later tonight um, on YouTube to break down game five of Nuggets Suns. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.